Welcome everyone to Business Growth on Purpose. My name is Jose Palomino. I'm CEO of Value Prop Interactive. And it is my great pleasure every week to be interviewing experts from around the world, owners of other B2B businesses, and sometimes just sharing some of my personal insights from decades of helping businesses grow on purpose. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the episode. Welcome to our new series, 20 Questions, where we dive into the top sales and marketing pain points we hear from B2B owners. If your sales and marketing have been stalled, it's time to break through with these 20 questions. Now to your host, Jose Palomino. Hi, everybody. Jose Palomino here with another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. And our goal today is a continuation of a series we're doing a couple of episodes on, which is just answering questions that we've heard over the years from our clients and that we've also, we enlisted ChatGPT to tell us, okay, what are some other things people are looking for? Put together a list of 20 questions and going to try to tackle about five per episode just to give us a sense of what's possible here. So I just want this to be a useful resource. Uh, we'll eventually turn this into some sort of ebook as well from a written resource point of view, but just want to answer questions that people have. So thank you for joining us on Business Growth on Purpose. And as most of you know by now, I'm the CEO and founder and principal strategist for Value Prop. And we work with uh, companies typically in that two to $20 million revenue size, B2B focused. So they're in industrial categories, professional services, and so on. And we work with owners of those businesses and their leadership teams to figure out strategy, to stand up a marketing program, like what are the main moving pieces, the kind of the architecture of a marketing program, sales process, because at that size, they don't often have a well thought through sales process and overall figuring out a way for them to grow their business. And we do this through, you know, hands-on coaching, consulting, and what we call playbooks. We've thought through these things. We've been doing this close to 18 years at this point. So, we have some very structured approaches that are also very flexible so that owners can apply them to their unique real world situation. And that's what we do. So this comes from that and from really a desire to be helpful to people listening to our podcast or watching this on video. So here we go. We're going to get to the next set of five questions. And, and here's the first one. It gets asked all the time. You're probably thinking about how can I utilize social media effectively for B2B marketing. And I alluded to this in the last episode when we talked about all these things really tied to like, do you know who you want to talk to? So social media broadly is a way to be heard. It's a way to connect with folks and it's a way to see what people are up to in a much more informal setting than formal content, right? So it's not necessarily uh, very carefully crafted white papers or even marketing materials. It, it's more organic than that. And there's a range of that organic nature. Certainly, if you're doing stuff on LinkedIn, it's going to probably be a little bit more formal, not as much as let me tell you the story about my dog and the time I had with my dog. But depending on your brand and how people see you in your industry, uh, that may play. But by and large, most LinkedIn communication tends to be a little bit more buttoned down, at least a tad from that, where traditionally something like Facebook could be the, the dog story. And then you get into things like Instagram or TikTok, quick video vignettes. 
And if you've ever been caught in a time loop or you have younger kids like that, like I do, who come and show me things and and you can get lost in that time loop of of just postings. You you look at these like TikTok videos that look like they were done very low budget, very quickly. They feel very earthy, organic. Yet, if you think about them, they have text, they have jump cuts, they have in some cases one person's playing five roles. Uh, there's a lot of time and thinking that goes into that kind of casual video. So when you think about utilizing uh, social media effectively in B2B marketing, it comes down to a few thoughts. How do you want people to perceive your business and your products? Like, just know that. Forget, forget venue. Forget how you're going to communicate this. Just how do you want to know you? Who do you want to know you in that way? And where are they spending time? Are they on LinkedIn? Are they on Facebook? Are they on uh, Instagram? Are they on X, formerly known as Twitter? Uh, or something that's coming down the, down the road, something we don't even maybe see, but might be relevant by the time you, if you watch this video in a couple of years. So the point is, it's always about the audience and the message. What is it you want to communicate? So know that first. That's the first thing. So if you hire a social media agency and they tell you, look, we're going to get all these likes and we're going to get we're going to get some commenting posts and we're going to do this and do that. Who are we going to do that for? Who are we trying to reach? What do we want them to think about us and know about us? Now, by the way, I, I want to be careful when I say that. I, I don't mean by that uh, a venue for you to present your stuff. That isn't how that works in social. It doesn't work anywhere, really, but especially in social media. It doesn't work. It has to be part of a conversation. So if you provide a service, let's say you provide laser-based welding services, electron beam welding, which is a real thing. Uh, as an example, you could say, look, these are the services we offer. This is our pricing. This is how you get a quote from us. That's good on your website, somewhere on your website. It's not so good on social. On social, you should be talking about the things people who use electron beam welding do. They're making aerospace parts. They're making precision parts for like surgical tools or something like that. And you kind of weave in some of the things you've seen, you've observed, some cool things. Definitely shout outs for your customers. Great use of social media. Uh, fantastic use of social media. as You know, with their permission, but you're shouting them out. You're, you're saying good things about them. All of that creates a, a, a sense of that you are in the space, you're a contributor, you're creating value oh, these are the electron beam welding people. And they start seeing that connection. The other thing is social media is not studied, typically. What I mean by that is posts that, that get read are not studied like they are like sacred scrolls. They're casually absorbed very quickly. So try to think about social media posts that are very pithy, have one central thought. So you might on your About Us page have a couple of thoughts you want to talk about on your website. If you have any collateral material of your trade show booth, you may have many things you want to say. And you can use social media to communicate more than one idea, but not more than one idea at a time. So you have to really edit ruthlessly if you're going to use social media. I think for most firms in the size that we tend to work with, you know, owner-led, two to $20 million in revenue in B2B categories. It's not an area that you're going to do a lot in personally. You're going to probably hire a resource. 
either a resource to write for you, to create content for you, if, they, if you think they can get your industry, so you have to interview carefully. And you can, you can post or point to using your social media accounts and your leadership teams, especially on LinkedIn, point to posts that, are, that, that got published for you through using the right kind of agency. Uh, don't go crazy. You don't have to spend $10,000 a month on this. Um, you could probably do something for about $1,000 a month and get some good results from some quality services. But you may have to kiss a couple of frogs before you get to the prince of an agency that could really help you and understand you. And this is critical. Uh, people will tell you, hey, we can use social media uh, for lead generation and we'll just bang out contacts on your behalf. And that can work for certain industries. And that's the whole lead gen world. We'll talk about that separately. But I'm talking about social media as it's envisioned, a place for conversations online among human beings around common interests and topics. So just some food for thought there. Think carefully. Bre brevity is, is really the soul of wit, as they say. It's, it's a great thing to aim for on social media. Uh, simplicity, other-centeredness, those are things that can help you there. So that's the first answer to a, a, a much bigger uh, conversation, but I think something that can get you thinking about it the right way. So second question we're going to tackle on this episode. What are the key metrics I should be tracking to measure marketing ROI? Well, some of that depends on the kind of business you're in. If you're a sale-based business, meaning you, you work a deal and you sell a big machine for a quarter million dollars, so you can actually track the value of a lead, right? So you get somebody filled out a form online, somebody picked up the phone to call you, somebody reached out to you on LinkedIn, they DM'd you, something like that. And they say, hey, I'm interested in what you're talking about. Let's talk. And that initiates a conversation in March that turns into a purchase order in September. You can get a sense that, okay, I know this activity that we did here and we spent this amount of money to get to that activity turned into this kind of business. In others, like if you work the distribution, um, and you use distributors to go to reach your marketplace, it's going to be softer connection there. And yet in others, uh, if you sell something that's much more rapid transactions direct to the customer, that's the easiest to measure. So often direct retail to consumers really can get a really good sen sense of metrics on their ad spend, their SEO spend, all the digital marketing spending. And they expect that that should yield measurable results within 30, 45 days. So now you have a kind of a straight line shot between spend and results. In a lot of B2B categories, it's not so simple. And if you're that size firm, you're in the lower end of the mid-market, mid-market firm, you may not have the Department of Analytics to help you figure all that stuff out. So you got to keep it simple. So a couple of things I like to look at is, okay, before I spend any money, how many times was a form filled out on my site? How many times did the phone ever ring? And that could be a tick sheet, spreadsheet, could be simple. You know, you could build out very uh, convoluted platforms. And there are platforms out there like a HubSpot that are excellent, uh, Kajabi, excellent. But they take time and some money and some effort to set up properly. So just start, depending on the size of your firm, just how often was a form filled out? How many form fills? That should, however it's set up on your website, whether it's WordPress or one of the aforementioned platforms, 
you should have a tick sheet at least of saying how many times was a form filled out by a real prospect. I don't mean somebody in some faraway part of the world hustling you to turn you into a lead. That that doesn't count. But I mean a real form filled. Doesn't mean if it turns into business or not, but it was a legitimate prospect of the kind you're seeking. Now, there's a whole set of analytics in terms of SEO, i.e. the keywords you're ranking for, all that stuff. We'll get into that a little bit later. But from an ROI point of view, I want to spend some money to have people reach out to me. If I'm in B2B, I want to turn it into some form of a lead that I can I can say, okay, I got 10 form fills, 10 phone calls, 20 leads came in last month, and I spent $2,000 in my marketing spend. That means I know it cost me $100 a lead. In some categories, it might cost you $1,000 to get a lead because you're in a very specialized niche category. But that lead, what is it worth to you? So you say, well, I don't know. They just put an initial order and you know it's, it's only a few hundred bucks. So that's a loser then. Well, you have to look at it more looking back at your business. What over time, what is the average one, two, three year revenue that you generate from a customer that started with that small order and you took care of them and turned into something bigger? That's really what you're looking at. So you don't judge a um, you don't judge a rose bush by the first bloom of the first seed. You, you know its potential as it can become this beautiful rose bush. So that's what you're really thinking about. How often does that happen? You say, well, historically, like half our business becomes medium and maybe a 10% becomes large. Okay, so you apply those that thinking to anything new coming your way. Also, you know, typically, how long does it take you to turn a lead into a sale? In your industry, in your category, you may get things like if you're an engineering firm, that could take two years to monetize, to get awarded a deal. But being involved, being invited to participate is a big deal. And you only get 10 of those invitations a year and you only close two of them, but they're million dollar deals that could be well worth it to you. So the ROI is going to be in terms of what are you really buying? You're going to have marketing agencies tell you, you you have to buy branding. You have to get well-known. And and that's true. That's good. But real branding activities, like really getting become a well-known word uh, in your industry, depending on the size of your industry, can be very, very expensive, like big money to get there. And the juice may just not be worth the squeeze. Not if you could spend the money more uh, more in a more localized, specialized fashion so that you can actually get some real traction uh, with leads, which can then give you some more money to grow your branding expansion and so on. So really think about the outcomes you're looking for and ask yourself, how would I know this is happening? How would I track it? Get together with your team, ask that question, and then start correlating those things over time. Your agency is unlikely to give you really good insights in that. They'll tell you how many times a page came up, how many times people clicked on this, how long they're on your website. That's not a marketing ROI. That's a performance, like an operational performance set of numbers. And they're important. They're not unimportant. They're like leading indicators. If you do those things well, other good things can happen. But I'd say keep it real simple. And also know that this is something, it definitely is a slow cook kind of thing. If you haven't done a lot of it, it's going to take time. 
Now you have to throw some other things into your marketing ROI in terms of the I, the investment part. If you don't have a good collateral, depending, again, if you're in a very industrial category, you may need cut sheets, you need website. Those are all investments that you have to think about them as amortizing over time. So a website, you amortize over at least two years before you have to do another uplift. You have to maintain it along the way. So what are you going to spend on your website over the next 24 months? That's that investment on collateral material, on a trade show if that's good for your business. Those are all things that go into your marketing spend. On outbound emails, uh, social media management, there's a lot of little pieces that go into it. And you have to be able to say, okay, if I stopped all of this, I just stopped. I mean, I kept the website hosted where it's at. Uh, but I stopped doing any of this activity. How long before I saw a drop off? How long do you think? If you're saying, well, I, I don't think I'd see anything change. Then challenge whoever's working with you as to, to, for them to show you what the drop off would be. You need to see the, the straight line. The idea that marketing ROI is so fuzzy that you can never see beginning, middle and end is not true. Is it somewhat fuzzy? Yes. Is it going to be like really straight lines? No. But directionally, you should have a sense if I'm spending 50 grand a year, 100 grand a year, 200 grand a year, that I'm getting a benefit that exceeds that. And don't be like, uh, you know, uh, businesses for a long time kept investing in yellow page ads after the internet was the internet because they were afraid of loss because they couldn't tie anything to it. And they were afraid, well, maybe that's actually how people found us. So don't move into it with fear, but definitely have uh, the confidence to ask some of these tough questions to the people helping you. Let's go to the next question. How can I create a successful email marketing campaign for B2B clients? A successful email marketing. So let's talk about that a little bit. So <clears throat> I've worked with clients that were very afraid of email. Because you hear about canned spam and you don't want to be called a spammer. You don't want to be doing anything that's not appropriate for your brand and your identity and so on. In my opinion, and this has evolved over the years, I'm less afraid of that. Uh, the reality is people get a ton of emails every day. And uh, like just like social media feeds, the emails that are not immediately relevant get, you know, just scroll to the bottom, either get deleted, get ignored. But if it's good email, it may not get responded to immediately, but it's certainly going to get people's attention or they say, well, I got to check that out next time. I like to read that article. I like to read that thing. That looks interesting. The headline caught, caught my eye. So the idea is your email should have some value. It should be saying something important, maybe a little bit more broadly, similar to my answer to social media. Uh, your email should uh, communicate something that the reader you intend to get this would appreciate getting and might look forward to. Now, the frequency, it really depends on how, how much good content of that kind you or working with somebody are able to generate. So if you know, boy, it takes us a long time to get a 500-word email out or a 200-word email out, we can do one a month and do one a month consistently. But I think you can easily start moving towards one a week and then start doing that. And, and one way to do that 
is if you use a service like HubSpot, MailChimp, again, Kajabi, there's a ton of platforms out there. What you do is when people sign up to get like some info sheet from you or some information from you, they, they, they say, sure, send me that. What happens is you can subscribe them into this email sequence. And ideally, you'd have, let's say, 26 emails already loaded, one through 26. And every other week, or one through 52, if you want to do it weekly, that new person who just got entered into your database starts receiving an email every week. And they all start at once. So you don't have to think, this week, what email are we going to send out? You want to preload the cartridge, as it were, so that it runs automatically for you. All right. And that's really the key thing. There are agencies that can set this up. If you have anybody who's kind of like a marketing intern, they should be able to set this up. But you have to write the emails or have them written for you. There's a lot of ways to do that. Uh, focus on the industry. Focus on a good, maybe answer to a question, much as I'm doing here. So thinking about questions that people have about things in your space. How do you do something? Even if it's not something you sell, but it's something you can credibly speak to, that's great. If you can have customer success stories in there, even better. And not just saying if your company is Acme Sprocket, saying Acme Sprocket is the best thing ever. Rather, the Acme Sprockets really, or rather the right Sprocket saves you money because it's this, that, and the other thing in terms of efficiency. And the, the people at Acme really helped me find the right Sprockets for my application. And that's a powerful email. And then you can always, it's inbounds to have, you know, for more information on this product or for how we at Acme can help you hit this link. And, we'll, and this should be an easy link to either a landing page that talks about what's in that email. That's a more sophisticated bent. It can go to your homepage, but preferably it goes to your contact page. And if you're in B2B and you need people to schedule appointments, then Add a link to, uh, and it's easy to subscribe to. It's very inexpensive. Uh, a program called Calendly. So it's calendly.com. And Calendly will let you set up a calendar that, and you've probably used them yourself uh, when you've been to visit other people's sites. And the calendar, it will actually uh, set up a Zoom session automatically. And it will, it will actually read your calendar in real time. And you set the parameters, how many hours you want to be available and so on, or, or your salesperson. So people can instantly get an appointment. It could be 15 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever you think is appropriate for that first level discovery. So the email can actually be lead gen as well. But over time, it's going to cultivate reminders to people. This is what we're doing. This is what we do. This is how it's worked. And that's one of the easiest things you could do with email marketing. There's a lot more you can do. There's more directly promotional things you could do, depending on the kind of services you offer. But in most B2B categories, you offer long-term professional or industrial services to clients over time. You're not trying to get a quick hit, like you're trying to sell tickets to an event right now. And, and that's if you are, then, then you might be a little bit more aggressive. But you don't have to be that aggressive. You just have to be top of mind. Most of us in B2B are in categories that there are other competitors, there are other alternatives. So you just want to be top of mind when people are thinking about what you do. So what is the uh, next question we're going to tackle is what is account-based marketing, often just represented as ABM, the three-letter acronym, and should I consider it for my B2B business? 
So account-based marketing is, in simple terms, is if you are selling to very large companies that you can almost look at that company as a market in its own right. So in the old days when I was, uh, in the old days, when I was selling for a, uh, for a market research firm that specialized in technology market research, I had Accenture and I had IBM as my clients. And so ABM as a term wasn't as big a deal back then, but essentially what I realized looking at IBM, and we had a lot of super duper experts who could help many phases of IBM. I realized IBM was like navigating a nation state. It was like a federal government. It was huge. And you had regional leadership. You had industry leadership. You had all kinds of leadership structures. So account-based marketing is basically saying, I'm selling to a big enough company and I have enough different things to offer that I need to take time to think about that company as if it was its own market with different decision makers that have to be reached and influenced over time. If that's not the case, if you're actually selling maybe to a big company, but you only sell to one, one decision-making center in that company, and uh, you only have one kind of set of solutions that apply to just that, then ABM may not be as appropriate for you. If it is, then you would set up email campaigns, social media campaigns, direct sales contacts, networking events. You do a lot as if that was the only company in your world because you have many things to sell them as an organization. They have many potential buyers. If not, if you're really on a one-to-one -one basis, then I think this could be a distraction for most companies in that in the mid-market, especially the lower end of the mid-market, in my opinion. Last question. And this is a big one that I'm going to answer briefly because I'll come back to it later. How can I optimize my B2B SEO strategy, search engine optimization strategy, to rank higher in search results? Uh this is, if, you, if you've ever listened to folks talk about investment strategies and they say you can't beat the market, in a way, SEO is kind of like that. It's very hard to beat the market because it literally is a marketplace not made up of investments in dollars and cents, buying equities and bonds and so on. But people are, through their searching and through their search interests, they are essentially voting for what they're interested in finding and the things they actually are satisfied by, those things they actually click over to indicate that what they were looking for, they found. So Google and, and Bing, and now with AI, it gets even a little crazier. It's a little bit less linear than that. You basically have these search engine platforms are trying to say, they try, that more than anything, they want you to find what you're looking for right away. So they need content to tell them what you offer that marketplace. So we, we, we are the widget expert, the sprocket expert. Uh, we make all kinds of sprockets, all kinds of materials, all kinds of dimensions, all kinds of applications. Okay, that's kind of all, all, all. Unless you're a really big company, there's probably somebody out there that says, we only make titanium sprockets. We only make them for aerospace. So it depends on people looking for this. So they're going to be looking for sprockets generally, or they're going to be looking for titanium sprockets. 
Are they going to be looking for sprockets for aerospace? So what are people looking for? And there's ways and tools to find that out. And, uh, and it's certainly a good SEO agency will help you figure that out. And what do we do? So again, who am I trying to reach? What are they looking for? What do we do? And am I, am I implying through my writing and what's on the website, what we do? Or am I explicitly saying we do titanium sprockets? So your B2B SEO strategy always comes back to who are you trying to reach? And when you're trying to reach them, what, or rather when you're trying to be there, when they're reaching out, they're doing the search, that's what SEO, search engine optimization. What are they looking for? So who's looking and what are they looking for? And when I know those two answers, who and what, then I look at what I have on my website and say, do I speak to those things explicitly or would I have to know read between the lines? Like if I say all kinds of sprockets, well, that probably includes titanium. Well, I don't know if it does. If that's the bigger part of the market I'm trying to reach. So the key thing is to make sure that you are aligned with people's interests, which means you got to know your customers. Now, there's a whole set of technical operational things to be done in terms of content, frequency of content, getting out there. And it's very hard to rank super meaningfully in B2B categories. Not impossible. And I know there'll probably be somebody listening to this as an SEO for us. Oh, we can do that for anybody. It's just hard to do because you also have a lot of experts who are competing with one another. Again, it's the market. It, think of the market. So how are you going to beat the market? Well, one of the things you can really do is support, uh, let me say it differently. So SEO is about having content on your website that matches the interest of the people you are interested in matching interest with, okay? So you need to have words, articles, pages, content that matches the interest of the people you're trying to reach or that you want when they're looking out that you match up to them. So what that does right away, it does something really fabulous for you. It means your website will have a lot of great content for people you reach out to, even in your direct outreach of phone calls, emails, social media outreach, trade show presence, because your story then becomes on point. So the SEO discipline actually can help you really figure out what it is that you um figure out what it is you need to say on your website because you're doing it for SEO, but it actually will make better content happen. Now, here's the last thing on SEO. There's a lot of people, and you've probably read articles on this, and maybe you've tried it yourself or you've hired firms and they've given you 80-page analysis and so on on a monthly basis and you glaze over on it. And the thought is they're going to technically manage my SEO to rank me consistently. And maybe they, they, maybe you found one that can really do that for you in your category. But what Google says, and they don't say much, their formulas are very secretive, but they basically say write good content, write good stuff, create good stuff. Now, if you're not a great writer and you don't know what good stuff looks like, you need to find somebody who create stuff that you would want to read. Notice what I said, not stuff that they say, this is rankable content. And then you read and you go like, that's a hard to read article. I'm not sure what it means. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I care about any of what it's saying. So great content or content that's meaningful 
that's valuable will usually rank better in most categories. But don't follow a sinkhole, you know, don't jump into the sinkhole of over-investing in SEO. I know that's like a cardinal sin among marketers. If you're a small firm, if you need 10 new clients a year, there are other ways to get there. And But do the SEO kind of hygiene things, the things that are just good, good content, cleanly laid out. And of course, making sure your site doesn't have broken links, uh, that it's well organized. There's a lot you can do there. It's a great little book on, on uh, user interfaces that I, I recommend to anybody who ever had a website. It's called Don't Make Me Think. Don't Make Me Think by Steve Krug. I don't know Mr. Krug, but it's a great book. I read it 15 years ago. It still holds true. It's all about designing things that are easy to find. Don't make your website hard to find stuff because Google doesn't like that either. Make it have easy, clean navigation, a clean look, clear articles on the things that matter most to you that should matter most to your to the prospects that matter most to you. And you'll start getting a handle on this SEO game. Are there technicians who can really force that ranking and work the, their magic and do some good stuff? Yeah, but I let's, let me just say this. I've met a lot of them who make that claim and only a very, very few that I thought could deliver, uh, especially for small companies. If you have big budgets and you're a big consumer brand, SEO is easier to do because you have bigger audiences. You can, you, you're in a bigger, kind of a bigger fish in a bigger pond. Um, but for most industrial professional services firms in the size categories that we talk about, the mid-market, lower part of the mid-market, um, it's, it's just hard in such a large marketplace. It doesn't mean it's not worth your attention. It just means set your expectations. You'll have better content. You'll help in your sales, direct sales efforts. It will improve your ranking. And then you can actually optimize from there i would take it in those steps get the content right get the website nice and clean make sure you're saying what you want to say for who the people you want to say it for and then worry about the super technical next level stuff so that's been a lot of stuff we covered today on these five questions i hope this is helpful to you drop me a line anytime you find me on linkedin jose palomino and of course you can always find me uh you can always reach out to me directly um, by going to Jose Palomino, J-O-S-E-P-A-L-O-M-I-N-O.com. And if you think I can help you, let's have a conversation, 30-minute kind of discovery, learn about a little bit more about what we do at Value Prop. Let me learn a little bit more about what you do, what your challenges are. And if there's a there, there, we'll both know it. And we work through it very simply. So until then, until the next episode, uh, it's been my pleasure to share some thoughts on these questions that people have, and maybe you had them too. So take care and to your success. This is Jose Palomino signing off. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose.